Hey friends, I hope everyone's alright. I'm recording this in a heatwave, yet another one that we're experiencing here in the UK. Feels like heatwave number 17. Are you getting these episodes with a slight delay? Anyway, I'm here, I'm sweating from my elbows, from my eyeballs. I'm just melting into this sorry puddle of despair. It's been really awful. And and then, as I'm melting, this story pops up and it melts my heart. So in addition to everything else that has already melted, now I'm here. Project Melt Complete. So this story is about a man called Nick Gardner. He's from Scottish Highlands and he just completed his attempt to climb Scotland's 282 Munros. And Munros, I have learned, I didn't know that, are mountains that are higher than 3,000 feet. Which for me and those of you who don't operate in uh, body parts, it's 914.4 meters. It's tall, tall mountain, tall mountain, big mountain. Now, Nick is 82 years old and he set himself this challenge after his wife, Janet, went into full-time care. He was devastated. She was, she was very unwell. He was devastated by that. And, and so he started climbing mountains to keep on going. And he began, began, began it's heatwave, I can't, I can't, I can't verbs, I can't do verbs in heatwave. Anyway, he, he, he began this challenge in July 2020 and on 13th of August 2022, so two years later, he reached his final summit, Khan Gorm, and he said this, I couldn't look after my wife anymore. She had to go into care and I had to get a project to refocus my life. I am elated, but I've not finished climbing. I did it because I love climbing and shall carry on. I have my eye on Devon and Cornwall coastal path walk. End of quote. And through his climbs, Nick has been raising money for the Alzheimer's Scotland and the Royal Osteoporosis Society. It's such a beautiful, such touching story. Honestly, I encourage you to look at photos from his various climbs. He he has an Instagram page, and that, that page is run by his family members, but you'll see loads of his photos. It's Nick on the mountain, or Nick climbing a mountain, and and he, he talks about how long it took him and, and how he got there. And it's so magical, it's just so beautiful, this man just there on the mountain or climbing it, so effortless. I always think of myself climbing a mountain. I'd never look that peaceful and composed and at one with nature. I'll be there, half dead, with my tongue sticking out, crying (laughs) a lot. Anyway, beautiful, beautiful story. Check it out. And that made me think about mountains because mountains are often such great backdrop against a challenge. I know many people who absolutely love mountains, are obsessed with them, they love climbing and they often just just have this out of nowhere mountain call. Hey, it's me, mountain, from insert country slash district. I am calling, come and hang out. <laughs> I don't know, I imagine this. this is how it goes. But they do have this sudden urge to just go and climb something. 
I have this cousin in Poland who who constantly posts photos of herself by herself on different mountains in Poland and abroad. And recently she posted a photo from the seaside on some sort of a rock saying, ah, even here I found a mountain. And I, I love this. I found this so wonderful because it is a testimony to our connection or some people's connection to nature and to earth. Really beautiful. I personally have never experienced that with mountains. But this one particular mountain became a backdrop against my first decision to see how it felt to be alive somewhere different. Like it was a big thing for me. And and against the backdrop of a big mountain worthy of that big thing. Because I am dramatic like that. So here's what happened. As in Poland, we, we, we are transporting ourselves to Poland. Um, I just finished my A-levels, so still was a kid and had a very long summer ahead of me. And I mean long, because in Poland at the time, you finish your A-levels in May, you have your results, and then you would not start university till October. So you have five months of freedom like nothing. I had nothing. I had no plans. I would be at home and I would be expected to basically run the house. My parents were super excited. (laughs) They're like, yes. So I'd be cooking, cleaning, you know, looking after home because they were working. And and back home, at home, we always had this very fair division of labor, you know. So whoever can and has time does whatever there is to do. Like man, woman, dad, child, dog. No discrimination. <laughs> Cat didn't have to do anything. Which is a nice model anyway. But I was so not keen. <laughs> Just so boring and so daunting. I imagine five months doing that, playing house. I was not ready for it. I wanted freedom. And I have, or I had, I have had maybe this thing that my grandma refers to as a quill in the arse. This is to say there's something propelling you to move. And I have always been propelled by something. I don't know, quill or jeans, as in genetics, not trousers. And that summer, that summer of A-levels, I felt, I felt it was, it was time to do it properly Staying in that little suburb, in that little village was just not an option. But there was one obstacle. I had zero money. Zero. No money. So anyway, I thought I'll get a job. And I need to give you a bit of a backdrop here. This is Poland in in the 90s. Teenagers don't work. Like It wasn't common like here that you get a part-time job. Nothing like that. You work once you are out of formal education. Even at uni, very, very few people worked. I, I don't really know anyone who who worked. It just wasn't a thing, you know, n- not a thing. But I thought, <laughs> why not? I'll try. An obvious thing to do, now thinking back, w- would be or would have been to apply for a job at a local cafe, restaurant, Hotel, somewhere where I can stay home and commute to, you know, like easily by bus or even drive. Make some money, get out, go traveling. No, but no, Manon, me and my quill were not into this plan at all. I mean, this wasn't a plan. I I simply woke up one day and it was clear to me and to me only 
that I would move to the mountains. And not just any mountains, the biggest mountains in Poland, Tatra. Spectacular mountains, by the way. Spectacular. If you have not heard of it as a holiday destination, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here to sell it to you. Great for climbs, great for skiing, great for food, great for culture. 100% indoors. Now back to my story. <laughs> I didn't tell anyone about this, right? I sat down and in a few days I had a list of every hotel in Tatra Mountains. Every single hotel. And I targeted hotels because I assumed that I could just stay in one of their rooms. <laughs> Smart. Free holiday. Oh, free paid holiday, even better. In return for labour, but still, the bright side. And so I emailed every single hotel in Tatra Mountains that had an email address and those that did not I called and that did not go well <laughs> I was like what what do you want <laughs> you want a room no you want a job okay no we don't have bye um it was an intense job hunt central in my house I had this table <laughs> as an excel table and I kept just ticking boxes of who responded, who didn't, why I had to call back, why I had to email back. I was so organized. God, I want that organized me from that time, teleported here <laughs> and doing my live admin. Yes. And so I I was sending this email, I was basically saying, Hello, I have no experience, but I'll do anything. And I mean anything to get out of here. And to your beautiful mountains. Did I say I loved mountains? And I, so so I say, you know, who I am and where I live, which is the part of Poland that was historically, has been actually, um, I don't want to say deprived, because that's not the right word, but there was quite a high level of unemployment uh, always. That There are not many industries quite heavily relying on agriculture, and I thought, oh, maybe they'll just feel sorry for me and just give me a job. It's not like getting a job on merit, obviously, but frankly, I had no merit <laughs> because I never worked before. I was at school. So whatever. Um, I was very honest, very forthcoming. You know, I said honestly that I have no clue about anything, but I really want to work and I can do anything. And I pitched them this business case where I say, you don't have to pay me much, but give me accommodation basically I work for almost free and I can speak English <laughs> as if that mattered and that I loved the architecture of the hotel and what they did with the place personal touch check and then what followed was an avalanche of rejections but they were very nice those were not the days where you apply for a job and never hear back no these people, these mountain people, took time to acknowledge and to respond, to say no, to a kid. How nice! Someone sat there in the height of tourist season, no doubt busy as a hive of master bees, and, and said, thank you, that's so nice of you to write to us. What a wonderful idea, we can't give you a job, but if you do come to mountains, please come in for a cup of tea. I mean, look, I was still very disappointed. I don't know, I was expecting a, a horse and a carriage and, and f for me and my backpack the next day. But this was my my first experience of, 
of job hunting and my first experience of that mountain hospitality as a small window, (laughs) a cat flap into the mountain mentality. And I still haven't told anyone that I was doing this. By the way, I was just quietly plotting away. And then it arrived. An email arrived from one of the hotels asking, when when can you start? And I thought, Mark, I could not believe it. I'm really gutted now not to have saved that email because I don't think I've ever felt so excited about the job. As at that time, it was my first adult grown-up achievement to get a job, my first actual job. (laughs) I didn't know what the job was, but it happened, right? I I mean, I knew it belonged to some generic hospitality family, (laughs) hopefully, but that was it. And so I told my parents and I said, well, I'm leaving tomorrow. And my dad said, okay, good. (laughs) Straightforward conversation my mother who is generally more risk averse than my dad said yes but you realize you'll be trafficked to the west yes and to be honest that's that was all that she said and look now looking at it now I can see that she might have had a point because I was going somewhere for five months it was about six Uh, seven or so hours drive from my family home to a place I knew no one (laughs) where my family knew no one all I had was the address of the hotel and and the email signed off by some man that was it so now I think fair enough mum and yes I might end up getting trafficked and she kept on saying this to me and nothing else as of stressing that it will be trafficking to the west meaning Europe, west of Europe. And I am not going to lie to you, there was a bit of a fear in me um, that sort of jogged through my mind every now and then. Not at all about being trafficked, but about how I would be in that new world. It's a big world I was going into because it was just me and no one else. And and that that was it. That was the adulthood. So that small village where the hotel was, was actually a very big world because it was far, it was new. And I was by myself. It was me making this new reality, building something somewhere else by myself. Classic, right? Complete works of the coming of age. And that, you know, that was what worried me a little bit. Um, because it was the end of something. It was the end of childhood your first job but it was also a beginning and and that was so much more pronounced than the fear of leaving safety and and comfort and I was young you know I wanted independence I wanted freedom and so I said yes I'm coming tomorrow um I, I I I can't remember even getting a response from him I just jumped on the bus with my backpack with some clothes and some toothbrushes and and off I went (laughs) why did I say toothbrushes I'm sure I only took one (laughs) how many teeth do I have anyway and off I went for for five months in the mountains all right and then I I got to Zakopane and from there you have to take a little bus to the valley (laughs) so cute where this village was and the bus dropped me off just outside of the hotel 
it was it was gorgeous this traditional wooden hotel with a large bar restaurant area really lovely at the very entrance to the valley near a mountain stream I was in love I was honestly hoping not to get traffic because I loved it so much I inhaled this air which is so clean so so fresh just tasted so wholesome I was honestly high on independence and adulthood yes and I got to the reception didn't find anyone it was all a bit eerie I was all a bit quiet so I wandered around and then I bumped into this man a short man with a beard who really was not keen on conversations at all um before I introduced myself after I introduced myself he did not care he just said go to reception or send the manager to you she'll explain everything then later it transpired that was the owner of the hotel so I go back to a reception and this woman lovely wonderful beautiful woman came in and just took me under her wings I actually shared a room with her which I now think she should have been really pissed off about this she had a great setup there and this kid arrives and you have to share room and look after her like annoying but she never made me feel that way never she she never made me feel that I in any way caused her that annoyance she really welcomed me into this weird hotel family and everybody who worked there was from somewhere else meaning not from the mountains and and almost everyone's story was that something bad happened to them and in many cases it was like life put them through a shredder of suffering and pain and spat them out in these tiny pieces and then there was a bus as they came out of that shredder there was a bus with mountains written on it that that just appeared as they were collecting themselves and and trying to put themselves together from that shredding experience and then there they were in the mountains getting off that bus (laughs) in the valley and everybody was really nice really lovely everybody was much older than me actually like at least five maybe ten years older sometimes more they were so really together the most unlikely friendship group you know everyone was very 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 different to one another and yet they worked so well and they really adopted me almost immediately I never had to try and fit in there was there was nothing to fit into like you usually fit into a shape and you see you know this group is a square this one is a triangle this one was chaos and you don't fit in or into chaos or try it try it but good luck and I belonged honestly was the first time in my life where outside of a family environment I felt 100% accepted as I was as I stood there in my brown overalls because brown was the color of that summer and I remember often doing this double take because as I was falling asleep with that little stream in the background I felt so happy and I felt like I was really learning who I was away from expectations away from family away from having to fight my way into me fight about what I wear fight my opinions forward 
none of that was happening. It was so peaceful. I just was. <laughs> I was let be. And I thought, ah, oh, actually, this is me. I like me. New, nice, tar mountains. So anyway, I'm telling you about this journey to myself. I go deep again. Um, you know, it's my self-discovery with ridiculously sexy mountains in the background. Um, it's the title of my new book. But I've not said anything about the job, right? There's a reason for it. Why I didn't say anything? Because it's so irrelevant. My job was to do everything. That meant sometimes I would sit at the reception. Sometimes I would work behind the bar. Sometimes I would change bed sheets. Sometimes I'd clean the room. Sometimes I'd peel potatoes. My favorite job was that. Sat then ate chips. <laughs> Other things the chef would throw at me. Not literally. <laughs> We're civilized. I've never had a job of such variety ever since. Mm, but what was quite interesting about it, that I didn't actually do many of these tasks. I built the potatoes, but not much more. The hotel was dead. It was so unusual. It's a height of tourist season uh, outside. Everywhere is booked up. We're completely dead. It was a nice hotel, really beautiful. Like, make of it what you will. Sometimes I just sat at that reception the whole day, managed to read a book, like entire big, big fat book, because there was nothing to do. Like 12 hours. No calls, no emails, no customers, nothing. Weird. What was going on? Well, we'll never find out. We never really saw the owner either he would appear sometimes at breakfast and then disappear really quickly into his office like like a ferret <laughs> you know the animal just goes moves quite fast and um he was also not from the mountains and his family lived somewhere far so he, he would often go to visit his family and and when he was there honestly he was also not there he, he was a very unhappy little ferret um and I didn't do much working, even though, you know, I I have good work ethics. So I tried very hard to find things to do just because I felt I was getting paid for not doing much. But also I was getting paid almost nothing. So, you know, fair's fair. Mm, but because the work was so nothingy, I went trekking in the mountains quite a lot. I made friends with this crew of mountain rescue men. And they were also friends with the hotel crew. And they were in mountains a lot, sometimes rescuing people. Obviously, I wouldn't tag along to that, um, but sometimes just trekking. And, and to that, I would I would come with, um, especially my days off. And I would just go for these treks. And I'm not a natural trekker, uh, but these men, they knew mountains like the back of their hand. And they were from there. You know, they were the mountain people. So it was like someone taking you around their home and saying... This is the fridge. Help yourself. You know, this is this is your bed. Just feel at home. It's beautiful. I grew to love mountain trekking because they showed it to me with such gentleness. Really magical, and and that I will always carry with me because uh, it, it it became such a special place for me. And then there was also the Bohem, which was represented by a man we knew absolutely nothing about, but who knew all the actors. 
especially of older generation uh, in Poland. And he seemed to, to be very close to them and they seemed very close to him and they would come and visit. Uh, this was fabulous. And we never knew what he did, like where he came from, what his story was. And then years later, it's like years, years later, we heard that he just disappeared. Boom! Thin air. And no one knew what happened to him. And then people people came up with these incredible stories, how he was a serial killer or, you know, was wanted by the FBI. <laughs> and just probably needed a change of scene. Um, well, again, we'll never find out. But he was absolutely hilarious. He he did run these small B&B and... and that's all I seem to remember about his job um, there. Anyway, all these people, so all these people, the hotel crew, the mountain rescue, the bohem, the local priest, the random people who just wandered around, all these people came together in a small pub, like this little wooden construction, almost someone's home. I think it might have been someone's home in the valley. It was owned by a by a man from there, like owned by generations, and and he was such a spectacular storyteller. So these evenings were something else, you know. This motley crew just shows up. You never know what will happen, and I would often wander back to the hotel from that pub. It's like five to seven minutes walk, but sometimes fifteen. Slightly on the drunker side, not always, but often, looking at the stars breathing the air of gods, hearing that stream just streaming, feeling so alive. I have never recreated that experience, never felt anything close to, to that. It must be something, now I think, to do with that first gulp of independence, sprinkled with being part of something, belonging to something. It must be, because... I've never felt like that again and I don't think I ever will. Or, you know, it might be something to do with uh, (laughs) drinking beer with vodka shots dunk in it. Something I will will also not do ever again. Yes, I have gone to weddings, including the most exhausting ones that lasted days. I've met and met, made friends with neighbours. I've scoped the best discos in town. I met this wonderful old lady who just sat on the stoop of her house every day. And I would, like, whenever I could, I would just go and have tea with her and sit on the stoop with her. And she was a spectacular storyteller as well. I experienced my first proper Halne wind. Is this super strong like almost hurricane like wind um it can it can reach up to 150 kilometers per hour it's very very strong and when it blows it brings with it this change in air pressure so people feel i mean there's a this generally speaking there's a downgrade in um people's well-being uh people get migraines like depression heart problems breathing difficulties even psychosis um and one night someone actually did throw the little axe <laughs> across the bar and windows got shattered the tension was so unbearable but for me i loved how it made me feel anxious but also really creative 
I I wrote a very shit poetry compilation in like two nights. I die of cringe when I read it now. But then there was just no stopping me. And um, my heart my heart really got kidnapped by the mountains. I fell in love with these mountain people, the resilience, their connection to nature, to mountains, to home, their sense of humor. And, and there are also things that I don't necessarily sign up to or care for that, that are important there, like religion, for example. Even though, of course, times have changed and are changing and I I think so is that mountain identity and if you're listening from outside of Poland and you you don't know much about the region I recommend this um, Polish photographer he's his name is Bartłomiej Jurecki I'll, I'll link him in this episode and for five years he took photos of the old generation of mountain people like the legends of that region and these are so touching. They really are a reminder of something very special, this culture, this tradition, a way of life and language that are disappearing. I'll leave the link to his Instagram in the description. Mm, and I feel that it was such a privilege to experience it and to be part of it, to be welcomed into it. It was the entire world with its beauty, its ugliness, with its sun and moon and the entire complex humanity just locked, <laughs> locked into, into a little globe of the mountain area. That's how hermetic it felt, like there was nothing else outside of it. And when you see this huge juicy moon against these strong imposing mountain tops, of course you'll feel like there is nothing else. This is where the world is at. And yes, I was a little bit late for my first year at university. Um, I did think maybe I should just not bother with formal education at all. But in the end, I did manage to make my way out. My total earnings for these five months were enough to buy me a waterproof jacket. <laughs> like good quality though, my mother still wears it till now. Um, but my total life learning for that five months, completely invaluable. I've really grown into myself in that time. And um, I did go back to the mountains earlier this year. I did go back to the village in a little minibus, you know. I did walk in the valley and I did stand in front of the hotel and I did not go in, of course. I nearly did and then the minibus was going back to Zakopane and I just got on it. <laughs> like an excuse, you know, not to go in. Another minibus would be there in 10 minutes. I just don't know why I'm like this, you know. I don't like these full circle situations. I like keeping good things open. As that way they don't end. I'm not sure this logic actually tracks. But anyway, I looked at it, took a photo of it and left. And today, in the height of a horrible heatwave, I'm dreaming of a summer in Tatra Mountains. It's a beautiful, cool breeze. Sun that feels like it warms your bones but does not burn your skin. And its rays just gently tickle you under your chin like your giant cat. Best summer of my life, no doubt. I mean, so far, I hope something tops it one day. But the thought of that summer and autumn, because I probably overstayed my welcome a little bit, makes me really happy. And it makes me so happy to share it with you. And that's why I end. Stay cool, look after yourselves and each other. Bye.